According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. Proverbs chapter 3. Before we get started, let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God the Father to set aside distractions and humble our hearts under the authority of doctrine. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you for the blessing to assemble together today. I thank you for brothers and sisters who have your word as a priority that uh, humble themselves under your doctrine, under your authority, and the sovereignty of your word. I ask, Father, that you would set aside distractions, that you would bless our time together today, that our gathering would be for the better and not for the worse. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are dealing with the long-term effects of being in the Word of God, the long-term benefits of a lifetime spent in the Word of God. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And three blessings are then provided for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Three benefits to spending your life in the Word of God. Should you not forget the commandments and should you Keep them from the heart. There's two things that will keep you from uh, realizing the benefits that are being provided here, and that is growing neglectful, where you forget them, all right? And uh, it doesn't count if you had a few good years when you were younger and uh, stored away all the doctrine and got all the knowledge and all the things you did, but you haven't paid much attention to it, say, in the last dozen years or so. What, What good is it at that point? You've forgotten. You have neglected all right. The other snare, besides neglect, the other snare is actually having the wrong motivation, not keeping them from the heart, keeping them for, from, uh, for other reasons, not from the heart, not from the core of who you are. In other words, rendering lip service or putting on a show or having a half-hearted obedience to the Word of God. They must be, they cannot be forgotten and they must be kept from the heart, those two things. And so long as you're on track in those two areas, then Uh, You have a lifetime spent in the Word of God, and you might expect that these benefits are going to be yours. Every believer can expect three additions to their human experience when they are abiding in the Word of God, and you can expect this, all right? And once you understand the spiritual dynamic of this and the reality of this, then you can uh, escape from the, uh, the immature view. You can escape from the childish view that just simply looks at this as if it's some kind of a uh, a, uh, a an obligation or a duty we can put God under, saying, well, I've been a good little boy. I should get long life. I should live 90 years. I've been really good. I should get 80 years. I've been mostly good. I should get 70 years. I've been average. All right? And uh, But then we start to claim certain things on an artificial legalistic basis. Right? We find a verse that says we get 70 years, or if by strength, 80. And we say, okay, that's the range. That's the range. And then if somebody like Steve Arnold dies at 58, we say, ooh, what was wrong with him? All right. He clearly was not uh, pleasing the Lord. He must have had some secret sin. And we, we, get, we go all Eliphaz on him, right? Or Bildad or Zophar, those guys. They were all critical of Job to say, well, if you were a better Christian, you would have lived longer. 
that's the immature, flawed, fatal approach to, the, to this passage because length of days, years of life, and peace uh, are not tracked numerically. We don't just count them like bean counters and say, uh, you know, that uh, spiritual winners have longer time on earth and spiritual losers have uh, shorter time on earth and, and so forth. Anyway, uh, much of that uh, we expanded already in the last couple of weeks because we saw the nature of length of days and how it was qualitative in so many respects, detailing the, the length of days is eternal anyway. So when we tend to divide them between the days we have on earth and the days we have in glory, we've already uh, kind of missed the boat. <laughs> we missed the point of the issue. The length of days, how many do we have forever, right? I have eternal life. How many days is that? And so uh, it is kind of hard to count to infinity if you just keep counting and then the next day you add one more and the next day you add one more and the next day you add one more. We all have the same eternal life, which is all the infinite number of days in front of us. Length of days when we have this day, day after day, as long as it's called today, this day, how can we lengthen this day? How can we have a capacity to take this day and redeem it for eternal glory? We can have a length of day on this day if we, are, if we have the eternal mindset on this day. Different ways we can lengthen our days in that, in that respect. Also, years of life. Years of life. And what a contrast. And you might exist, but are you really living? And do you have the fullness of the life that Jesus Christ said we're supposed to have? That they might have life, that they might have it in abundance or abundantly. And, uh, you know, you could live 147 years and be mad at every single one of them. Be as, as, as ugly as Jacob talking to Pharaoh saying, few and unpleasant have been the days of my sojourning, nor have they attained to the, to the number of my fathers. Okay? And so if you're just dissatisfied with whatever because you think you deserve more, or you think uh, you missed something, or you think that life has dealt you a bum hand or whatever, and, and you're just uh, grumbly over all your dissatisfaction with, with your life and with your days and whatever else, then you don't have this years of life that Scripture's talking about. The years of Chaim, as we have here, the Shanoth Chaim that God has designed us to have. Let's live our life as He has provided it. And so there's quite a contrast of perspective there between Abraham and, and uh, Jacob. And then finally, shalom, the peace, the completeness, the soundness, the peace, the satisfaction that we have in our life, because it's, it's, got, it's all grace anyway. This is what God's provided. This is, uh, this is what he has called me to do. And I thank him for it. I don't even deserve this. What am I, why would I be dissatisfied for something else I, I envision or daydream or lust after as if somehow I think that would be better? Okay, that I should uh, I should have a bigger house or a faster car or a prettier wife or more money or uh, you know uh, a more prestigious church or ministry or job or, or what have you? Why is it that human beings get so grumbly over what it is we're supposed to be content? We're supposed to have peace. We're supposed to be uh, enfolded in the shalom that He provides. We should live in the perfect peace because our mind is stayed on Him, and we're going to talk about that. I suspect it's going to come up in Proverbs, and I suspect, I know it'll come up in Isaiah, and I suspect that uh, we may even hit that concept from a couple of, who knows, maybe we'll even throw it in there from, uh, from the Galatians' perspective at some point. We'll find a way to connect it there. All right, so we have length of days, years of life, and peace. And what a delight when you find a young person walking with the Lord, a teenager, you know, um, 
And they already, even at their young biological age, have length of days, years of life, and peace. Okay? Because they're occupied with Christ and they're living in the Word of God. And we never unlocked those front doors again, did we? That's become a pattern now over the last few weeks. All right. Thank you. Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. And we can view these as abstract concepts, as spheres or attitudes, uh, or we can view this as a personal title for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that He is ultimately kindness and truth. And that's what we're dealing with in, uh, in the context here. Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and in truth. All of these are terms for God the Son, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The living Word, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, still does dwell among us in the church age. All right? And uh, vocabulary here, chesed and emeth. Chesed is our kindness. I think I've fixed all our slides to give consistent transliteration spelling. Chesed, C-H-E-C-E-D. Chesed, number 2617. This is the loving kindness. This is the Hebrew term that spans the idea of grace and mercy, the idea of charis and elias and agape. Sometimes it's rendered mercy. Sometimes it's tender mercy. Sometimes it's love, loving kindness. Chesed is a marvelous expression that encompasses all of those aspects from the New Testament. And then truth, ameth, faithfulness and truth. And this is really a blend. You can't say it's a pure synonym for uh, aletheia, all right, in the Greek New Testament. Because it incorporates that, but it also incorporates pistos. It incorporates faithfulness. That it is true because it is faithful. And a person can be faithful and true. A person can be, uh, a person can be factually accurate. In other words, he's not lying to you, but he's not faithful. Okay? And so there's a distinction to be found between faithful and true. But both of those are encompassed within the aspect of a math. And this is what we don't want to lose. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. They're going to be the first things to go if you start neglecting the Word of God. If you start neglecting His commandments or not keeping them from the heart. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, we're told. Last week we were looking at the uh, 33 verses where both Chesed, uh, Chesed and Ameth arrive. And we did most of that list. We did not hit Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, or Zechariah. So we can pick up there. And then uh, we'll proceed to points 4 and 5 for today. But there are 33 verses that contain both chesed and ameth. The bulk of them are in the Psalms and Proverbs, as we've spent our time with. Not so many in uh, in the Pentateuch or in the law, but um, the bulk of them in Psalms and Proverbs. And it's a great tandem. Faithfulness and, and truth on the one hand, and then the, the grace of God and the, the loving kindness of God on the other. And they're both necessary for our salvation, as I think I said last week as well. The grace We're saved by grace through faith, but the grace of God is only as good as the faithfulness of God. Because, <laughs> yeah, if he, was faithful, if he was gracious to me in 1973 and gave me eternal life, well, okay. But if he's not the faithful and true, then who's to say that's still valid in 2015? Okay? Or you understand the point, that the, uh, the faithfulness of God is required in order for the grace and the love and mercy of God to have the eternal value that it has. Okay, so let's tie this together then today with the, the final four uses. These are all in the prophets. Isaiah 16, 5. Nice reminder, because I believe it was three weeks ago we were in Isaiah 16. 
Isaiah 16.5. Judgment on Moab in chapters 15 and 16. And uh, the only hope Moab has is to humble themselves and submit to Christ at his second advent. Verse 1 says, send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land from Salah by way of the wilderness to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. And so uh, Moab, if you want any hope of survival, you've got to submit to Jesus Christ. Says uh, in verse 3, give us advice, make a decision. Obviously in his reign at second advent, he is the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the one to whom the Gentiles will turn to for uh, wisdom and guidance and decisions, judicial decisions to be handed down. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. There is a marvelous blessing and a prophecy related to the crucifixion and the night at high noon reality of Jesus Christ on the cross. All right. Verse 4, let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. Uh, just surviving the tribulation itself is, is an endeavor. Then verse 5, a throne will even be established in loving kindness. There's your chesed. He sets up his throne in chesed. And a judge will sit on it in ameth in faithfulness, in the tent of David. So between its setting up and its operation, we have chesed and ameth. Faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness, and uh, so forth, and it goes on. Anyway, there's the tandem there, and it's looking forward to the second advent of Jesus Christ. It's looking forward to the time when our Savior is seated on the throne of David in Jerusalem and ruling the nations with a rod of iron. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1. Hosea 4 1. Get past the major prophets and you get to Hosea, the first of the 12 minor prophets. Hosea 4 1. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. Okay, and so here's an indictment. But what was it I said a few minutes ago? When you lose the word of God, when you stop living in the word of God, what's the first thing that goes? It's kindness and truth. It's chesed and ameth. And so here we see the, the tandem there of chesed and ameth and what happens when the knowledge of God is gone. So there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. And here's the impact. There's swearing, deception, murder, stealing, adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. You've got uh, society kind of similar to ours these days. <laughs> okay, And so what, don't confuse the symptoms with the cause. Why, why is our culture described like this? Why do we have such things so commonplace as they are? Well, if we were walking in the truth, it, wouldn't, it would not be happening like that, right? We would have a culture that would reflect chesed and ameth. It would reflect loving kindness and truth. It would be the outworking of that. But since that's missing, here's where we are. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Okay? Humanity is the steward. If humanity is maladjusted in, in sin and darkness and evil, then there are going to be ramifications for that in, cre- in creation, in the the weather and the and the, the climate and the and the animals and everything else that's under human dominion. 
All right, so what's the answer? Some kind of a moral crusade. We're going to change behavior. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to come, we're going to approach it on a law basis and try to enforce a morality and, 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 and keep fornicators from fornicating and keep murderers from murdering and keep bad people from doing bad things. What's the answer? It's a spiritual answer. We need truth in the land. We need loving kindness and truth as the Word of God is taught in a land. All right, from Hosea to Micah. This is where I think uh, a lot of these crusaders, they just, it breaks my heart. And I agree with their causes. I mean, I agree with their, you know, they're going to march, they're going to shut down abortion mills, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. You know, I agree with what the outcome is, what they like to see done. But wait a minute, just quit treating the symptoms and, and teach the truth. Transform this land with doctrine. Let the Word of God, let believers shaped by the Word of God be the salt and light in our community. As opposed to some kind of an external earthly crusade that we're going to protest and march and, and, and we're going we're to close down all the strip clubs in town. And let's, let's keep doctrine first and let the Word of God shape our uh, being. And then those believers will shape culture. All right, Micah 7 and verse 20. It's the final verse of the the book. Didn't realize that. You will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love, that's chesed, to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. So here's the promise of the coming Christ at second advent, the kingdom that they have to look forward to, how uh, they will be shepherded by his scepter in verse 14. And uh, nations will see and be ashamed in verse 16. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust (laughs) like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses to the Lord our God. They will come in dread. They will be afraid before you. Man, you know, how would you like to be a Gentile when the king of Israel takes his seat on the throne and uh, your nation has been persecuting Israel for the last seven years? And yet they come in dread, they come, they're, they are, they're in fear before the Lord. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, who passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in chesed. He delights in chesed, unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's where that song comes from. And you will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham, which you swore to our forefathers from the days of old. So chesed and ameth are not only his characteristics, but they are his uh, blessing. That's what he bequeaths to the nation of Israel when he takes his seat on the throne of David. Finally, Zechariah. Zechariah 7, 9. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. The penultimate book of the Old Testament. I could say the second to last book of the Old Testament, but it's fun to say penultimate. And it impresses people with my great scholarship that I know words like penultimate. Zechariah 7, 9. The uh, hmm. there's a context here that leads up verses one through seven that kind of sets the table for verses eight and following. 
the uh, how much of that do I want to get into? I guess I'll let that go. Uh, verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus has the Lord of hosts said. It says, Yahweh Tzibayoth, his battlefield name. Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. The true justice is the uh, justice in meth, I think, the justice in truth. And practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the stranger or the poor. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. This is what gives compassion to a culture. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. And they made their hearts like flint. So they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Obviously, Zechariah is a latter prophet. He's a post-exilic prophet. He's trying to get them to get back with a doctrinal program after they return from their captivity in Babylon. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. If you harden your heart to doctrine and then you think you're going to have a prayer life asking God for something, wait a minute. You shut your ears up. Why would he listen to you? You're walking in darkness. Iniquity creates that barrier between him and you. First of all, you need to confess. Repent, confess, get your heart right, then start offering up your prayers and see, uh, see if he does not listen and return. All right. Anyway, there's the combination of chesed and ameth in Zechariah 7 and verse 9. Now, getting back to Proverbs 3. Do not let chesed and ameth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, keep it close at hand. Keep it, uh, memorize it. Keep it in your heart. Keep it, uh, don't have it in a, at a distance. Oh, I'm sorry. I had a D before we move on to point four. Subpoint D, all of the Old Testament emphasis on chesed and ameth comes to a synthesis in the charis and aletheia of Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. All of the Old Testament emphasis on chesed and ameth comes to a synthesis, a synthesis in the charis and aletheia of Jesus Christ, John 1, 17. All right. Sorry about that. I forgot about that. I was all ready to move on to main point four. Chesed and Ameth. I tell you, when John used these terms in John chapter 1, what a loaded expression and what a significance. I don't think John 1.17 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. What a blessing. The Old Testament never had that. They had law, they had prophets, they had teachers. They never had the Word made flesh. And John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has higher rank than I for he existed before me. That the coming Christ is the preexistent Son of God. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. There was grace in the Old Testament, but not compared to the new. 
All right, compared to the new, we have the grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, that's, that's a deep statement all on its own. They, that, that, I mean, just in that context and contrasted with Moses and the Old Testament and whatnot, that can preach and, and you can glean that. But how much more do we get out of John 1.17 when we realize that that grace and truth, Moses didn't bring, he wrote about it, but Jesus Christ brought it. He lived it, he manifested it, and he provided it for us. We beheld his glory. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were not just given, realized through Jesus Christ. So realize what a loaded statement this is. Understand that, that verse 17 doesn't stand by itself. It doesn't just stand in context from 14 to 17. It stands with the complete weight of the entire Old Testament behind it and all of the significance of chesed and ameth. All of the significance of God's loving kindness, His faithfulness, everything that speaks of who God is and what the coming kingdom's about was exemplified, was, bought, was, was encapsulated in the reality of Jesus Christ. And so now it becomes ours. It becomes our way of life, as we're going to see coming up here in Galatians. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. All right, It's, not, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And that means that chesed and ameth, grace and truth, the, the, the embodiment of grace and truth that is Jesus Christ, was not just his earthly ministry to the disciples, but it's us today. How he lives in us today. It's not law. Grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but to me, legalism is a bigger deal than just being a jerk. Okay? When I when I talk about legalism and people who are legalists, I just think, man, they're just a bunch of jerks. Who wants that? More than that, it is a denial, a fundamental denial of the reality of grace and truth in Jesus Christ. That we're saved by grace through faith, we're living in grace through faith. To, to, to submit to legalism, to submit to law, man, how horrible. It's unthinkable. Battlefield name at Armageddon will be faithful and true. That's kind of a combination of the uh, Ameth principle. Faithful and true, Revelation 19.11. All right, now we get to main point four. We should keep the Word of God immediately at hand and treasured in our hearts. We should keep the Word of God immediately at hand and treasured in our hearts. If you bind it around your neck, can't lose it. Okay. If it's written on the tablet of your heart, and you've got it with you at a moment's notice, anywhere you go, where your heart is, you understand, it's the core of who you are, Far better than just having a notebook on a shelf or even having a, a, a print Bible to refer to or an electronic Bible to refer to. Any external Bible is going to be inferior to the internal Bible, inferior to the truth that you have taken in, that you have received it and implanted, that you have made it a real part of who you are in your innermost being, the core of who you are, as God desires truth in the inner man. So, bind them around your neck. That would be, uh, and they, they created these phylacteries, they created these uh, scrolls and things that they were bound around their neck. And, you know, we do the same thing. I remember going off to school and I'd have the house key bound around my neck and tucked into my shirt so that when I got home from school I could 
unlock the door, and Mary and I can go inside and not be hanging on the front porch until dad and mom came home. <laughs> All right. If it's bound around your neck, it's secure. It's you can't lose it. I suppose. But then write them on the tablet of your heart. That's ultimately where you want to have it. You want to learn it. You want to digest it. You want to memorize as much as you can. Have it available. Proverbs 3, 3, it's going to come back in chapter 6 and chapter 7, time and time again in Proverbs we told we have to internalize it, we have to embrace it, we have to claim ownership of it, make it ours. Treasure it in our hearts, obviously Psalm 119, 11. Let's look at this, Proverbs 6, 21. Verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. This is uh, not just information. It's a living and abiding Word of God. It is alive and powerful. For the commandment is a lamp. The teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Thank God for that. (laughs) Okay? You know, the parent that just lets you do whatever is the parent that doesn't love you. The parent that sets boundaries and disciplines you when you step across those boundaries and keeps you on the straight and narrow and keeps you uh, where you need to be, that's the parent that loves you. It's the parent that's going to benefit you for all the days of your life. And that's what God does as our Father. It's what His Word does in shaping who we are. So that's Proverbs chapter 6 in complete agreement with what we were just talking about in Proverbs 3.3. 3. Over to chapter 7. See, the benefit to binding the Word of God and taking it with you and having the Word of God is that um, because as a parent, you can't follow them around forever. <laughs> you wouldn't want to anyway. You know, At a certain point, you ground them in the Word of God and you watch what the Word of God does with them. You watch how faithful God is, far better than you are anyway. You know how uh, the Word of God pierces. Proverbs 7, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you treasure them within you keep my commandments and live this is with the length of days right the years of life the years of life and live truly live don't just survive don't just scrape by don't just muddle through in a carnal existence live keep my commandments and live and my teaching is the apple of your eye bind them on your fingers I'm confused now. Do I wrap it around my neck? Do I bind it around my heart? Do I bind them around my fingers? Why does he keep switching body parts to tie these things to? (laughs) So that maybe we grasp the idea that this is a metaphor and we don't get lost in the the metaphor and and, uh, lose track of the reality. Okay? Doesn't matter where you bind them, as long as they're bound, as long as they're tied, as long as you're not going to lose them. Keep your scriptures at hand. And most of all, internalize them into your heart write them on the tablet of your heart you ever think of your heart as a tablet you ever wonder what's getting written on there if you don't write the word of god on there (laughs) okay i mean what's the damage that's done by the word if you're not being transformed by the word of god what happens if we're conformed to this age is 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 there any heart writing that takes place of that you bet there is absolutely there is so uh, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Okay? And then call understanding your intimate friend. 
that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters you. There's going to be a benefit to this if it's internalized, if it's real, if it's if it's shaping who you are in the in the inner man. Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 through 21. Not limited to the poetic passages, and really nothing new. It's not like David was making this all up and inventing something new when he was giving this uh, to this pattern to Solomon, or when Solomon was recording it in Proverbs. Deuteronomy eleven verses eighteen through twenty-one. God Himself, when He was giving the law to the conquest generation, or the wilderness generation, we would say. The children of the Exodus, they've all died now, and now the next generation is receiving the law. He says in verse 18, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons. So in other words, yeah, we've got Scripture at hand, and maybe it, you know we accessorize with them or what have you, and all the traditions that came to to obeying this literally and taking all these metaphors as literal uh, commands and creating scrolls and little things to weave into the, in the sideburns and to weave into the, uh, to attach to the frontal uh, and to the headband around your uh, turban and whatnot. All right, so what, what do we do today? Well, today we have a phone in your pocket. Okay, you never lose it. You're connected to it like an umbilical cord. And there's a Bible app on there that uh, means that wherever you are, you've got a scripture at hand. The better part, though, is internalize it. Make sure it's in your soul. All right. And sometimes the app is a little clunky anyway. So, <laughs> All right. Where am I? Oh, verse 19 now, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. You shall teach them to your sons. So maybe you're doing fine. Pass it to the next generation. Teach them to your sons. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, it should be habitual. Around the clock, on whatever occasion, wherever you go. It's not just simply, well, this is Sunday, we're going to get religious and read Bible stuff and then live like pagans the other days of the week. It's it's around the clock. It's wherever we go. It's, you know, we happen to be running an errand to Home Depot or whatever. Use the opportunity. Talk about spiritual things. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. So why do we have them on the doorposts? Why do we have them uh, on the gates? Okay, Do we have to have a a Joshua twenty four sixteen verse on our refrigerator. Okay, if if we don't have a doormat on the front porch that says, "As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord," does that mean it's not a Christian house? Okay, <laughs> I'm teasing. It is sometimes I wonder the whole front half of the Lifeway store is all the the knickknacks and the doodads and the the little house accessories and whatever. And I just okay, that's fine. They're cute, whatever. Um, I just kind of. I'm a pastor. What can I say? I go for the books. <laughs> okay, give me the books. Give me the meat. Give me the theology and whatever. But okay, fine. I'll have a little mount up with wings like eagles bookmark or something, and all the other knickknacks. But the point being, though, 
Understand the metaphor, understand the imagery, understand the pattern and the principle. If it is a Christian house, you probably should have some Bible somewhere in it. You know, and uh, what kind of artwork and what kind of other, uh, if, if uh, the cable guy was there doing some work or some, the, the plumber was there or, or you got a, a termite guy coming out in the morning and he's looking around, is he going to have a clue that he's in a Christian home when he leaves? Is there any kind of witness, any kind of testimony? Anyway, things to consider. And then obviously Psalm 119.1, Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What is the value of treasuring doctrine, of internalizing it, of absorbing it so it shapes who you are from the core of who you are? And as we said when we taught this psalm, it's likely a very young man. He says he's a young man. He says that his elders were mocking him. How can a young man keep his way pure? But verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. If it's, in the, if it's in the heart, it shapes who you are. It shapes how you think. It shapes how you look at things. It shapes um, it's the attitude behind the decisions you make. Okay? If it's not there, then what's shaping the attitude for the decisions you make? Anyway, aspects there. Such disciples find favor with God and with man. We're told that in Proverbs 3, 4. Such disciples find favor with God and with man. Again, Proverbs 3.3, 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. It's almost a side effect, right? It's almost a, a, a fringe benefit. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's icing on the cake, as it were. Clearly, finding favor with God is ultimately why we're here and in seeking, trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord and growing in His grace and knowledge and serving Him and all that we do, but also in the sight of man. <laughs> when are you ever going to be, uh, 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 re, you know, is it ever a bad thing for kindness and truth? <laughs> Somebody says, man, that person sure is dependable. Is that ever an insult? Is that ever, I mean, even unbelievers would not, would, 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 would appreciate someone they can depend on because they know they can't depend on themselves or most of the other unbelievers around them. But hey, here's somebody that's faithful and true. They can appreciate that. Here's somebody with chesed. Here's somebody that's kind, somebody that's loving, somebody that's, that's uh, merciful. I don't think uh, that would not find favor in the eyes of man, even an unbeliever. So such disciples find favor with God and with man. Proverbs 3, 4, we can relate it to 1 Samuel 2, 26. And even the Lord grew up this way in Luke 2, 52. 1 Samuel 2, 26. Now I'm not saying that we make this our primary consideration. We're not living our lives so that we have the best reputation out there. But it is part of it. And, and, and we don't want a bad reputation. We don't want to bring dishonor to the name of Christ. So, uh, you know, we don't want to conduct our lives in a way that it gives the bad uh, indication. But we don't lust after it as if it's the main thing in the driver's seat. Hope that makes sense. 1 Samuel 
Hmm. Oh, I'm in the wrong Samuel. Never mind. First Samuel. 226. It's got to be with the young boy Samuel here in the yeah. His mother had prayed for him and then dedicated him to the Lord and he ends up being adopted out to uh, the high priest and gets to serve uh, the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah will visit him when she comes annually for her her uh, sacrifices but um anyway Whole background on that. Heads to verse 26. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with men. And that's the pattern. How do you think that was happening? Well, it was happening because he was taking in the Word of God. He was a disciple of the Word of God, even from his childhood, from the youngest of ages. And then, of course, this was the pattern for Jesus in Luke 2.52. This ought to be the pattern for all the children that were training up in, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Here he is at the age of 12, and all the teachers are being dazzled by the answers that he's giving. And uh, in verse 46, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You see that he wasn't just asking questions, but he was proposing possible solutions of his own, and they, uh, they were amazed at it. And even there, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the benefit. Such disciples of the Word of God find favor with God and with men. It's a testimony. It, is, it, is a, uh, it has a witness in the community. It has a witness in so many other applications. This is somebody that fears the Lord. They take their faith seriously. They're not some phony Christian. They're actually living what they, what they believe. They've internalized it. They've embraced it. It's shaping the core of who they are. Anyway, it's a nice testimony. Like, <laughs> you meet total strangers and they say, oh, you have to be Pastor Bob. I was having lunch with Pastor Cliff yesterday, Monday, and uh, the people at the table next to us were eavesdropping on what we were talking about. We are talking about eternal security and we are talking about eschatology and prophecy and the rapture and a bunch of other things and so yeah it became real clear that we were christians and then they figured out we were pastors and then the man finally turned and looked at us and and uh said i recognize your voice you you're you're pastor bob i've heard your mp3 files <laughs> and he says and and i know your son he, he's a co-worker with with bob over at, at uh, word search and um anyway just different things and then i didn't even know years ago i used to carpool with la rosa and they would carpool together to go to work. And he said that your MP3 files were always playing on the on the commute to work when uh, when we were going to work. Oh, okay. Anyway, so what am I? Oh, I'm illustrating the the compliment then that comes in terms of you know your son works with me. Your other son just started last week. Now I know two of your sons are working with me. Do you have any more sons? <laughs> kind of a thing. And the recognition that they have been grounded in truth from practically the cradle, from birth. They've been grounded up in the Word of God. That it, is, it shapes who they are, it shapes how they think, it shapes how they live, and, and different things like that. And so, you know, you, when a parent hears something like that, it's kind of fun, you know? And you think, well, okay, well, wow, that's, that kinda, that's worth all the blood, sweat, and tears and everything else. 
Okay? Because it's an illustration of a disciple that finds favor with God and with man on the basis of the Word of God shaping who they are, shaping how they live. And we can appreciate that. All right. We move on, and we'll see how far we get with this. I kind of thought we'd hit this next week, but here we are. It's all right. Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith contains a summary description for the Christian way of life. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 12 is an outline for the Christian way of life. Of course, it's from an Old Testament standpoint, but we still make our application. To walk, the Solomon's exhortation to walk by faith. In other words, to take in the Word of God, to be transformed by the Word of God, contains a summary description for the Christian way of life. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 12. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Here's the walk by faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, we're going to be careful with that and we're not going to take the immature view of of this as if it's some kind of a mechanical legalism or some kind of a process where I can hold God to, how come I don't have full barns and overflowing vats and, and don't twist this like prosperity theology twists this, okay? Or uh, the healing to your body and refreshment to your bones, people damage that too. But understand the wisdom for what this passage is talking about. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So here is, the, uh, here is a uh, paragraph description, verses 5 through 12, a summary description of the Christian way of life. This outlines how we live. This outlines how we walk by faith. This outlines how we stay humble before the Lord, how we don't substitute our wisdom for his. This outlines how we acknowledge him in our decision-making how we give him the priority in, in what we do and why we do it, how we honor him financially in terms of grace giving, all the, uh, and how we accept the discipline he puts us through where we understand that, yeah, we're under his authority and we're under his chastisement and we submit to it gladly. And the entire outline of it here. All right, well, we start with trust. Trust is a wholehearted endeavor. Trust is a wholehearted endeavor. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you're not trusting with all your heart, you're not trusting. <laughs> okay? A half-hearted trust is not a trust. A half-hearted uh, faith, it's not faith. I'm going to use trust and faith interchangeably. I'm going to use batach interchangeably with the Greek pistuo. Although remarkably enough, uh, Septuagint never uses pistuo for batach. And yet there it is in the uh, semantic range of what we're dealing with. You are placing your confidence in something besides yourself. Because if you trust in yourself, you're doomed. If you trust in people, you're doomed. If you trust in princes or politics, you're doomed. You trust in money, you're doomed. 
Proverbs and all the scripture makes very clear that these false items of trust, Satan will put it one after another, after another, after another, and every single one of them will let you down. But God will never let you down. His word will never let you down. The believer who trusts in him will never be disappointed. And the vocabulary here is batach, B-A-T-A-C-H. Number 982 is the strongest concordance number. There are 113 uses. The bulk of them are in Psalms and Proverbs. All right. Batach. Got a chance to show you this here. Got that written down? Batach. All right. Oh, I didn't start. I was going to start the software this morning and I failed to do that. We'll bring up a list. We're not going to take time to do 113 of them, but the ones in Psalms and Proverbs will hopefully be quick enough to run through. Uh, plus, we can show off the new software utility on doing that and run through those verses on an inline search basis. That's kind of fun. Um, but understand it's not pistuo, it's not believe, it's not a knowledge thing. It's not an, a, an acceptance of facts. All right? There's other verbs that talk about what you know, that talk about what you understand, we talk about what you. Um, some of the, the knowledge components of faith. This is entirely the, uh, the emotional... No, I don't want to use the word emotional. This is entirely the reliance component of faith. All right? If, uh, if, if in Pistuo, you can't believe in nothing, right? You've got to believe in content. You've got to believe in something. You've got you to be persuaded of something. And then you trust it because you've been persuaded of it, because you've... you've uh, you're, you're, you know it, you're convinced of it, you've seen it, you've evaluated it. So there, there's some kind of a cognition that has to take place. And if that cognition is not there, then you can't trust it. You will never trust anything for no reason, is what I'm trying to say. Batach has entirely the, 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 the trust side of things, but doesn't address the, the cognition side of things. And that's where it falls short, I think, of a, of a true parallel with pistos or pistuo. All right, so Proverbs 3, 5. There it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Here's my batach. And here's my search. Oop, that's the wrong search. Let me do the inline search. There we go. And we'll make it larger. All right. This is cool. This is this is really cool. If you've not upgraded yet from 5 to 6, this is one of the new features of 6. Dan knows what I'm talking about. If you upgrade from Logos 5 to Logos 6, this is a new tool that we've never had before. And so on the left is the normal search window. We've always had that. We've, also, we've always had, hey, show me every verse where Batak shows up, and boom, there it is. There's a long list uh, starting in Deuteronomy 28.52 and running through the whole Old Testament, all the places where Batak shows up, Okay. Fine, we can, we can still do that. We've always been able to do that. But over in the right now, um, you can show those verses in line. In other words, um, here's, here's my New American Standard Bible, 
And the software just took out every verse that doesn't have batach. <laughs> and so my Bible now is, is this window, Bible window is now um, only Bible verses that contain batach. And uh, so there's Psalm 118, 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Okay? And that's our verb, batach. And it only has Psalm 118.8, it doesn't, or it has 9. It doesn't have 7. It, see, it only has the verses that have batach in it. You, you now have a batach Bible <laughs> that you're looking at. And uh, you can... Um, I just think it's, it's easier to scroll through, easier to read down uh, than the list format that you have in the, in the search window on the left. Anyway, it's a new feature, and I'm, I'm, getting, to, I'm getting to love it a lot. So if I back up now to the Psalms, then we can run through these pretty quickly. Save ourselves a lot of, uh, yep, Psalm 4, 5 there would be our first one after Job 40, 23. So there we go. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. How many people want to say, oh, I trust God, but they're not doing anything with it or they're not offering sacrifices. Psalm 9:10. and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And this is where I say again, you've got to separate the cognition from the reliance. Okay? And in, in, in Pastuo, it incorporates both. Pastuo kind of enfolds both what you understand, what you know, with how you trust, and so forth. In the Hebrew, it's split up. The batach is simply the trust, whereas what you know and so forth is, is yadat and different verbs for knowing. So those who know your name, with a different verb, will put their trust in you, okay? And it's that idea of reliance and confidence and, hey, I'm in your arms. <laughs> Where else would I want to be? I'm going to put my trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 13, 5, I have trusted your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 21, 7, the king trusts in the Lord. And, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. That's chesed, that loving kindness there. Here's a chain in Psalm 22. Remember, this is, these are the words of Christ on the cross. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Verse 5, to you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. We're going to learn elsewhere that no one who ever trusts in the Lord is ever disappointed. Psalm 22, 9. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Now, obviously, if we want to see the surrounding verses, we can. There's a larger context for this in Psalm 22. But this inline search result is only showing us those verses that actually contain batach, the, the term that we're looking at here today. Psalm 25, 2. Oh my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. The worst thing about that, if the enemies are boasting, it's, it's actually an, an insult against the God in whom I'm trusting. If I'm trusting in Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel, I'm trusting in the God of my salvation, and He's going to fail me or let me down? What kind of testimony is that? He has to uphold the glory of His name. He has to uphold the truth of His promises. All right, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Though a host, this is Psalm 27, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. 
the war rises against me in spite of this, I shall be confident. And that's the translation from the batach there. Different English word, but it's the same Hebrew, batach. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts and with my song, I shall thank him. This is the, the reality of who we are. The heart is the core, the innermost part of your being. Psalm 31, I hate, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> hate crime. No, the Bible talks about love and hate. And if you don't hate what God hates, then you've got the wrong attitude. <coughs> I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. Psalm 31, as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Psalm 31, 14. Well, think about that for a minute. Think about the definition of idolatry. Don't think of it as a, as a carved thing of wood or a shaped thing of gold or some kind of a little statue thing that is in a special room in your house and you bow down before it. Just think of an idol as whatever it is besides God that you're trusting in. Okay? How smart you are, the money you make, uh, the whatever. If, if you are placing your confidence in something other than God... You've made an idol out of it. You've made an idol out of it. Psalm 32, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, chesed shall surround him. Loving kindness shall surround him. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. How many people want to put secular life up front? They want to live a secular life and then, oh yeah, they'll just add a little religious component to it and uh, kind of make themselves feel better about whatever they're doing. No. Your trust in the Lord comes first. And then uh, where you dwell and how you work and the money you make and secular life follows. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Psalm 37, 5. Psalm 40. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How about the, the traitor? My close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is David speaking of Ahithophel, and yet it's also prophetically Jesus speaking of Christ. Well, why did you trust in Ahithophel? <laughs> okay, why did you trust in man? Psalm 44, I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. <laughs> you know, some people think there's a military solution to everything. Well, wait a minute. Those who trust in wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches, Psalm 49.6. There's other folks that think money can solve everything. Just throw enough money at it and problem solved, taken care of. Well, wait a minute. Are you trusting in your wealth? Psalm 52. Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. But as for me, I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. We're only about a third of the way through the Psalms at this point. <laughs> but you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Okay? Don't act like you're not afraid. If you're scared, if you're afraid, then admit it. Hey, man, I'm afraid. But where am I going to put my trust? Let him deal with what I'm afraid of. Let him deal with my fear.
In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? <laughs> you know, and God's on my side, what can I not handle? Okay? What kind of test am I going to fail if God is there? In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Verse 11 of the same psalm. All of that Psalm 56. Psalm 62, verse 8 and verse 10. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. I think there's a good corollary there with Second, First uh, Timothy chapter 6. Psalm 78, they did not believe in God. They did not trust in His salvation. Now there's the nice tandem too, by the way, with the term that the Septuagint normally uses pistuo for. As I say, the Septuagint never uses pistuo for batach. Okay? And that's significant. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. All right, well, here's where we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up with trust. We'll pick it up with the rest of this outline. Lean not on your own understanding. How that's self-delusional and wicked. Uh, How um, we acknowledge him in all our ways. Not just the real biggies. All our ways. Some people want to just do what they want to do most of the time, but then if it's a really important decision like who I marry or where I go to work, then okay, I'll, I'll consult the Lord on those big items. You know, but it says in all your ways, acknowledge him. All your ways. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for truth. I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I thank you for these students. Continue to bless our study. Continue to bless... Um, us, Father, as we obey what we're reading about, as we take in your word and we memorize it, we write it on our heart, we allow your word to shape who we are. And through that experience and process, then, Father, you equip us to trust in you. And we trust in you in every circumstance, not because, um, uh, uh, well, because we know who you are. We know you better. We have found you to be trustworthy. And Father, we trust in you as you are our God, our Savior, everything, Father. Thank you for being so faithful. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.